0: Hello, and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird.
1: I'm Lisa Plain.
0: Today, we're going to talk about handling hiring bias with our guest, Shauna Cole. Shauna is a chartered professional in human resources and uses her behind the scenes knowledge of recruitment practices to help professionals and entrepreneurs find careers they love, excel through times of transition and overcome bias. You can check her out on YouTube, her channel Career Interrupted, where she posts career resources and advice for professionals every week. She joins us today from St. John, New Brunswick. Shauna, welcome to the career builders podcast.
2: Hey, Mike and Lisa. Thanks so much for having me. We're really excited you're here.
0: So honored. Another awesome Canadian guest. So we have the Canadian trifecta today for this episode. Love it. Let's, uh, let's get this one going. You're pretty passionate. You have a lot of different interests. You've kind of got this very uh, multi-pronged approach to your coaching life. How did you arrive at this point in your career?
2: Well, I, I think it's definitely an interesting journey, Mike. Um, I think all throughout our careers, we're pretty much told, um, like, find the one thing and focus in on the one thing, right? We can't be multi-passionate. You've got to focus. Um, when something happened, I, I spent a, a career working in um, in corporate jobs. And something happened after that where I kind of um, started to explore different different opportunities and, and found myself being interested and passionate at, at uh, about rather um, about different things. Um, so the move from corporate to entrepreneurship gave me the flexibility and the opportunity to try uh, multiple different projects on for size. Now most of them have been re- related to the career space. Um, And related to to matters of diversity, but, but still, um, I have had the chance to try on um, multiple, uh, multiple different projects. So working as um, a career strategist, delivering, um, delivering trainings in diversity and inclusion, um, and also, um, and also taking on a part time gig at, uh, at the university where I teach, teach courses in, um, in leadership and, uh, and in communication. So, so yeah, I think, um, I think, yeah, absolutely. I am multi-passionate and to arrive at this point in my career, there was certainly some pain, um, pushing against the Mm. norm and the, and the status quo. Um, but it's certainly been an exciting journey and I I honestly wouldn't have it any other way.
0: It's funny how that works, right? Our, Our pain, most painful moments of our lives typically do shape us the most. I appreciate you sharing that. Um can you give us a bit of a rundown on what is hiring bias exactly and why it's such an important career development topic?
2: Yeah, I think it's I, I honestly I really think it's a topic that's hugely overlooked in career development. And I think that we don't spend enough time talking about it. Um the whole idea of, of hiring bias is, is, is something that I've observed Throughout my corporate career, being oftentimes like the only um, the only visible minority in in conference rooms and hearing comments from people that have no place uh, no place in a meeting room or mm. in the world in in general. But whatever whatever the case, there are there are absolutely viewpoints and comments happening out there. I also teach in a program at the university where um, at the University of New Brunswick where there's. Um, there's a number of newcomers that are enrolled in this program and the challenges that newcomers face when trying to land their first, um, their first job are really, really different, um, different than um, the challenges that locals face. Um, so hiring bias is this whole idea that hiring manager or the HR professional, whoever's, whoever's in charge of doing that pre-screen process, Um, And that interview process, whoever is responsible for those steps involved in filling the job, hold certain ideas, they hold certain beliefs, they hold certain biases, and those can impact candidates ability to get through even the pre screen process. Um, so an example of this, um, I once was in a conference room presenting candidates to a hiring manager early on in my career, and they were all equally qualified candidates for a, a technical role, one of those positions that the qualifications are pretty pretty clear. It's it's pretty clear what's required for the role. And I sat in the room with the hiring manager, and as he's sifting through these, uh, these, these resumes, he looks at one resume and he says, "I'm not interested in meeting with this guy. He's an N-word." He said the word in the meeting room and he's not going to be a fit for my team. So, oh clearly, my god. Like wow. for real life for real yeah. life, but a reputable, um, a reputable employer. They're actually a top employer. I'm not going to lie, <laughs> they're a top wow. employer, um, at a reputable employer. So really, really blatant um, blatant bias, um, a very, very, um, uh, very clear and very wrong. And that impacted the candidate even getting an interview in that situation. Now, I'm not saying every situation of hiring boss uh, bias is this in your face or this Clear, but this is a drastic example. Like this, this happened in our lifetime. This happened at a reputable employer. This happened in Canada. This happened in New Brunswick. All those things. Um, so something that's that's very real and something that um, that candidates are absolutely up against. Potentially even from the moment of submitting their resume, so the employer hasn't even laid eyes on, on the person, but they're making judgments about what they um, about what they see on the resume because of of preconceived notions that they have in their own minds based on either their experiences or how they see the world, which in some cases is really in kind of a sad, wrong way. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But all those things um, inform their bias and can lead to um, huge, huge issues when it comes to fair recruitment.
1: That's horrifying. First of all, I'm horrified. And, um- And so you were talking a little bit about the different kinds of bias and I feel like it's important now to kind of touch on the explicit bias that you were just talking about versus maybe some of the lesser known implicit bias that people are also have when they're making these hiring decisions.
2: Yeah. And there's, there's, there's like several different types of biases and they're not all stemmed in race or skin color. Um, like it's a known fact that a hiring manager um, will absolutely favor someone that has similar um, similarities to themselves, right? So it's the similarity bias, you are like me. Therefore, you're going to be a fit and i like you and you're gonna be uh you're gonna be uh, a great worker because i am right so so there's several types of of biases that can come into play in the recruitment um in the recruitment process so um so you've got sort of um similarity bias um it, people who are more attractive tend to be more favored in recruitment um recruitment pros, uh, processes as well um, but when it comes to these two sort of general terms to, um, to explain bias, the implicit and the, ex- and the explicit, um, implicit we hear talked a lot um, about in the terms unconscious bias as well. So these are beliefs that we hold. Um, that, that They're really scary because it's not necessarily clear to us that we hold this belief or are being discriminatory in a process. And um, so the, the case of the hiring manager um, that that I mentioned earlier is saying that word, that offensive N-word in a meeting room, he, he was aware, he was aware, it was explicit that he had that bias, but imagine he wasn't, imagine he wasn't, and he saw that name on the resume and it looked like, I, I'm, I'm making this up, suppose it was a Nigerian name or something, it looked like a quote, black name. And he could have just as easily looked at that resume and said, I don't think this guy is going to be a fit, but not have the awareness of what was driving him to draw that conclusion. Um, Another example that we see of implicit bias, um, we see it with, um, with women. So imagine a scenario back when we could travel, there's this great opportunity with the company, but it's overseas and it's going to require you mom, woman wife to travel frequently right so this is a demanding role you have to work outside of work hours and you know what i'm sitting on the hiring committee the hiring committee is full of a bunch of men and they're going to say you know what woman mom wife i'm not even going to present this opportunity to you because i'm going to make assumptions about your avail- availability to perform in this type of role. Or I'm gonna make assumptions that you're not interested purely on the fact that you're female. Um, so just really loading up and making like these snap judgments that are not stemmed in any sort of fact or data about this person, um, but rather making a set of series and assumptions about this person because she's female and she's a mom, she's, she's gonna miss her baby, so she's not gonna wanna travel. Like, so maybe, maybe just instead of doing that, maybe just ask her if <laughs> she's a fit for the role, just like the guy is, maybe just ask her if, if she wants the position. So, but these are ways that we, see, um, that we see bias play out in the workplace, um, and that can affect uh, affected individuals to get a foot in the door. Um, to get that first job, to even have the chance to b- build their credibility. And it continues to impact throughout their career and can impede their, um, their advancement in an organization as well.
0: Yeah, wow. That's a super informative bunch of ideas you just shared there. I appreciate that. And among the th- things that kind of came to mind as you were talking uh, is the idea that uh, a lot of the work that I do in my day role of being a placement advisor is that I'm helping a lot of international students, uh, come into Canada. They've been studying here locally and, um, they do not look like a lot of the employers that they'd ideally like to work for and their gateway into this country really. Um, because their resumes are covered with, uh, uh, cashier positions and pizza delivery folks, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. If that's how you have to make ends meet, Hey, I have a lot of respect for you. Um, but the gateway for them often comes by finding and linking them to opportunities, um, with people who are similar to them. And I I feel that is just unfair. That just doesn't feel right. So it's, it's sort of a, a different way of looking at that bias in advance. We're sort of in a different way, almost like leveraging some of those biases in favor of these people. But I don't think that's really the healthiest way of building up our world. Uh, hard to put it another way, but I just wanted to get that out there. It really just sort of hit me as you were going.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, the whole, um, the, the whole The whole process, the whole recruitment process is is loaded, um, loaded with with those biases because people are involved, right? People are making hiring Mm -hmm. decisions, hopefully, hopefully at some point it gets past the robot and it's an actual human being Mm -hmm. uh, reviewing the resume and having having the discussion. and, and I think like when it comes to career development and when it comes to, um, to, to, newcomers or the students that you're working with or, or whatever that audience is that, um, might be more predisposed, um, to, to bias because of their, um, because of their background, it's, it's critically important that we talk about this and ensure that they're aware that yes, yes, Canada's great. North America is wonderful. Clearly, it's not perfect, and we've had its <laughs> we've had our fair share of mm-hmm. issues. So let's talk about how um, how this plays out in companies and in hiring processes, so that you can, at the very least, open your eyes and be aware that it's happening. It's probably going to happen to you um, as, as a newcomer, or if if you are, you know, visibly different um, from mm-hmm. um, the majority of the of the population. Um, I think that step one for, for candidates is, is to start to recognize that this is a thing that happens in recruitment processes, and, and there are some ways that um, the candidates can work to, to overcome um, biases um, on, on documents like their resumes and cover letters. There are tactics that they can use in interviews to... Um, to sort of try to manage it. It's never going to be perfect. It's not going to go away because people are involved and people have opinions and experiences and perceptions. Um, But there are things that candidates can do to try to
1: overcome it. I just wanted to add something. because I actually had a really interesting conversation with a client and a lot of people get nervous when you say the word bias because bias isn't inherently wrong. We all have very many bias biases. (laughs) So, accepting that about ourselves is also a huge step and accepting that about other humans is the first step but that doesn't mean that these types of biases that we're talking about should be showing up in the recruitment process but the sooner that we as humans can accept that we are biased by nature the sooner we're able to have these open conversations and get to the root of the problem
2: yeah i mean that's such a good point because it's like a bad word all right like mm. like it's just like like a swear like <laughs> oh, you are, oh you are biased you're but biased. you're right it is just a normal natural thing that comes through living life and having um having experiences but the, the real problems arise when um when they're impacting um impacting things like a fair recruitment process because we aren't challenging ourselves um we aren't challenging as hr professionals are hiring managers and we're not having the conversations and acknowledging that it's there to me, that's the dirty part when you just exactly. pretend everything's perfect, right? It's it's not bias. It's saying that no, nope, we're cool. That's all good. No, exactly. Probably not. <laughs> yeah.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Cool. So can can you dive into a little bit more? I think you hinted at it. Sort of where these hiring bias tendencies often come from, and you've been in the recruitment game in some way, shape or form as an HR professional. So I'm really curious to hear your take on this.
2: Yeah, I I, I mean our biases as, as individuals really come from the world, um, the world around us and our and our own experiences um, that we've had, how we brought up, all of these things factor into our biases. Um, And then I think what happens is you can imagine you go and you get the great corporate job and you're a hiring manager and you're really smart and you have this authority to recruit for these positions. I don't think it's a normal, natural thing for most hiring managers in their recruitment process to go like, "Hmm, let me, let me dive back into my childhood and think about my upbringing. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? And, And see, did my parents have these discussions with me? What were my, what were my parents' views about things like interracial marriage, and how might that have impacted my perception? We typically don't have that conversation with ourselves Um, as hiring managers, as recruiters, we just don't. We say, it's okay, I can totally be objective. I've got my list of recruitment criteria I'm gonna go through and I'm gonna score my candidates and whatever, Um, and just filled with with problems and, and issues. Um, so, so again, like, like really that first step to start to correct the problem is, is taking that, um, that full ownership, that full accountability, um, and owning your bias, man. And really, really mm-hmm. digging into that and understanding where it comes for you personally. I think it's a deeply, um, a deeply individual and, and personal exercise that each and every one of us need to own. Um, and I do feel like kind of these a, a diversity training or going through and having like key metrics around it are all great and steps in the right direction, but without that real sort of commitment from the individual level at the leadership level to get kind of deep with yourself and understand where it's coming from, um, you're not gonna see the full impact um, of, of that programming.
1: I have a story to share actually on that. And um, there's a, a really cool test that we've talked about in previous episodes and it's called the implicit bias test and it's through Harvard and we'll put the link in the in our show notes. But I actually did it while I was working uh, in a company and I grew up in a neighborhood where the men were kind of the breadwinners in the family and the women were less so. The interesting thing is I have a very strong mother, I've worked for really amazing women bosses who are all extremely successful and wonderful people. And when I took this test, it actually showed that I was more predisposed to choose men over women in a leadership role, which was like shocking for me. At that moment, I'm like, there's no way that that's a thing. But just like you're saying, when you go back and look at the experiences that you've had, you understand it a little bit more, but at that point, then you can choose, you can say, do I want to accept this bias? No, I do not. And so you move forward from there.
2: That's such a great point. And honestly, Lisa, it's, it's something that I struggle with too. And I I like, and it's very much tied to, um, um, tied to my corporate experience, I think. And even now, like when I look like, like my coach is a man, I, I do, I would favor a candidate as a male in a leadership role. And I'm just like, where does this come from? Like, <laughs> but, but you're so you're so right. And it's that taking the first step of uh, like what. It, so if it's taking like if it's taking the test, you know, like taking the implicit bias test that you mentioned, um, that you're going to link. That's a great tool to to get uh, get an idea of kind of where you're at and really challenge your thinking. And I mean, just like any tool, um, take it or take it or leave it, right, listeners? Like, so you could think critically about maybe agree or disagree. Um, but I know for me personally, um, and it is largely just based on, I have worked in male dominated my environments, my entire life. <laughs> mm. Right. So yeah. that's what I've seen. And that's what is normal to me is males in leadership. I don't think it's right. And I work on, uh, work on that myself, but it's, it's a really interesting point because I do the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh.
0: Challenging, right? Yeah. I, I'm curious to know from a job seeker standpoint, how might someone who's looking for a job be able to better navigate the hiring biases that may be coming in against them?
2: Yeah, I think, um, I, I think it starts with, uh, with the resume. Um, I, I mean, it's ne- it's never going to be perfect, but I, I, I've seen resumes that have information that is not relevant to the job posting or recruitment process. So I would encourage candidates every single time when they're like, should I put this on my resume? Ask yourself, is that piece of information a valuable input to the hiring decision? If yes, absolutely include that thing on your resume. If no, delete that right away. Don't, don't include it. Um, there are really, really simple wins that candidates can, can make, um, like deleting, a, a deleting a home address, um, from, from your resume. Your home address says something about you. An employer can make a judgment about you on the basis of your home address. Now, does, maybe this sounds ridiculous, but think about it for a second. Um, Neighbourhoods typically have a property value associated with them. Um, in my community, there's a, a particular area of town where you're much more likely to find the newcomer population than other, than other areas of the city. And all of those things are extra pieces of data and information that are going to the employer that are completely irrelevant and have no uh, Have no relevancy or input to the hiring process. So it's, it's something that should just be deleted um, from your resume altogether. Um, have you guys seen like all the templates that are like, hey, you should totally put your headshot on a resume. And like, do you just cringe
1: every time I'm like
2: No, like so, so important. There's so much information in a photo. Like there's so much information in a photo. Um, So it really has no place on a resume because I would say, is that a valuable input to the hiring decision? What you look like? there's going to be exceptions. There's always going to be exceptions. If you are applying for the next starring role in a feature film, perhaps (laughs) that makes a lot of great sense. (laughs) If you're applying for like a finance accounting or marketing or most jobs, it makes zero sense. So delete it right away. Um, And and really these, these couple of um, um, these couple of things like seem so basic and minor, but put them on your resume and you're giving yourself, um, giving your uh, the employer rather so much information that has no bearing on whether or not you're a suitable candidate for the role. Um, another great one to um, to delete from your resume is graduation years, particularly if you're concerned with ageism. Um, whether you think you're too young or you're too old, whatever the case, just take the grad years off. Um, take the grad years off your resume. Again, there's going to be exceptions if you have a work history break because you went back to school. Maybe you need those grad years, um, but for the most part, they're probably not going to be relevant to your candidacy for for a particular position. So I just really would encourage candidates to, first of all, um, when it comes to to submitting a resume, um, if you're new to an area, get really familiar with the norms and standards. So if you're a newcomer to Canada, you need to spend some time to research what the norms are on the resumes. Because I mean, I know I've I've had a lot of students, um, a lot of students from a lot of different countries and some of it's like, why wouldn't you include a photo on a resume? That is normal to me, right? Mm. It's not normal here, right? Um, For the reasons that I cited. So I I think candidates need to take some time, particularly if if they haven't had a lot of experience applying um, in in a given area to understand the standards um, and norms. And I think if we can constantly ask ourselves, is this piece of information a relevant input into the hiring decision? It's just a great guide. It'll help you um, assess whether or not, you know, some volunteer experience should be on your resume. Should you put hobbies on there? Maybe, if the answer is that hobby is really relevant and really aligned with the company's values or whatever. Um, Just a really great tool to help you screen out information and uh, include only information that is actually relevant to the to the job. Um, It can get a little bit more tricky when it comes to the interview process. You ever think about how messed up like the power dynamic is in an interview process? Like it's, it's you have no power as as a candidate. So in Canada we know there are illegal interview questions as a candidate, what are you going to do if the employer asks you an illegal interview question? If they say, how old are you? Do you have any kids? What are you going to say as a candidate? That's illegal. Like, <laughs> you can't do that. That's ridiculous, right? Like, you it's just not practical. It's not practical. You just got yourself screened out of the process for some other unrelated reason mm-hmm. that someone's going to find. Um, but, um, but I do think that there are tactics that you can employ in an interview process when you are in uncomfortable situations where an employer is asking a question that has no relevancy to uh, to your candid- candidacy for the position and no, um, no really sort of relevant input to the hiring decision. So I would say if, if an employer said to you, how many kids do you have? I would try to dodge the question as um, as the candidate myself, if I were if I were in that situation, I would say something generic like, "Oh, you know what? I've got a, a wonderful family, and we absolutely mm. love spending time together. And we went apple picking this weekend." Generic, and you know what? Sometimes hiring managers screw up. They he might that hiring manager. Do you see how I just said he?
0: Yep, <laughs> I was going to call that out, but good job calling yourself out. <laughs> Love that yeah, self-awareness. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, man. So so he or she, uh, she, the hiring manager, the hiring manager, uh, might, might have made just an honest mistake. Because, you know, you're in an interview, sometimes it can fear, feel very conversational. Um, so, so I don't think, you know, taking an accusatory stance in that situation has value to anyone. And I think you're probably going to piss off the employer. So you don't mm. want to do that. Um, it could just be enough for for the employer to go, oh shoot, like I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have asked that. I shouldn't have asked that. It could be enough to to sort of recue that. It might not be. They might continue to press, and you you might be in a situation where you do have to answer the question. Um, a question like this seems innocent enough, but let's talk about bias for a second. How mm. many kids do you have? I have six. I don't, for real. Okay, because oh, oh my <laughs> goodness, but like. Can you imagine the candidate says, I have six kids, and the set of assumptions that might come from the employer associated with that small piece of harmless data. Man, if she's got six kids, she's going to need about 600 <laughs> hours off for mm-hmm. sick time. And like it, you can see there's just, oh, is she really going to be committed because she has mm-hmm. all these outside priorities? So all these all these things can creep in. And our job as a candidate is to try to keep that at bay and out of the process as much as possible. It's not going to be perfect. It's absolutely not going to be perfect. Um, but you got to give it a, a good, honest try. And you can get with, away with so much um, in an interview process um, by watching um, by watching your tone and, and your delivery. Um, another way to answer that question um, around whether or not you have children in the interview process would be, can you um, can you help me at, to ask that, that manager, ask that recruiter, can, oh, can you help me understand how this is an input to your hiring decision? Like put them right on the spot. Like it's not mm. an input to their hiring decision. They shouldn't have asked the question, but the way you come back at them is so, so important, right? Because you do want to Um, to stop yourself as a candidate, even from making a set of assumptions. Um, So I I think the delivery is really, really key. Um, And I think, I think that you want to ask this question really carefully. And I think that your job as a candidate in an interview process is to absolutely watch for questions that have no place in the process and protect yourself from giving out that extra information. That, again, has no bearing on whether or not you're going to be um, great for that job.
1: So let's say a job seeker does experience one of these questions. They don't necessarily recognize it in the moment. They realize a little bit later on, like, oh, man, I shouldn't have answered that question the way that I did. They don't get picked to move forward. Do they have an opportunity to address bias in that moment? And if they do, do they want to?
2: Yeah, I don't. I don't know that they do. Like I I really don't know that they that they do. Um I mean so many so many hiring processes do leave a large amount of room for a certain amount of subjectivity. So it's it's not like X plus Y equals Z. And if you didn't get Z, um you're you're not hired. There's so many other inputs and variable into that it, variables into that equation. If I were a candidate that, um, that didn't get selected for a role. And I was going through that experience of like, oh my gosh, it's all my, it's all my fault. It's all my fault because I answered this, this question, I shouldn't have provided that information. Um, I think, I think what I would do is to go back to the employer and I mean, it's a good practice, um, a good practice in any case, and to ask them for some feedback on, on your interview. And, and see what they see what they come back with. Um, I, I think there's going to be exceptions. I think if you were if you were subjected to something that was really really um, really really blatant and overt and offensive, um, that absolutely you should go through necessary channels and, and seek out uh, legal advice on the on the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but so often those hiring processes are behind closed doors. Uh, they don't always have really really objective um, measures and it often will become a case of he said she said and because the power dynamic is so screwed up in interviews as the candidate you are now the disgruntled candidate who's simply mad at this Mm. hiring manager because you didn't get the the job right so right I, i guess the only thing um the only thing i would i would say is go ask for the feedback if it was really bad, you'll you'll feel that it was really bad. It would be level of you know that hiring manager drop of the n word in the meeting room mm. bad. Yeah. That's the point at which you say, okay, I need to go talk to someone, and you're going to reach out to either um, someone in your network who's an HR professional, um, someone with legal experience um, that can help you walk through the specifics of your own um, your own
1: situation. Great advice. Thank yeah. you.
0: In your experience, what would you say companies are doing right now to try and eliminate hiring bias as much as possible?
2: They'll do training, like they'll do training, um, uh, around, you know, unconscious bias primarily. Um, and they'll also implement like, um, a process and some sort of measure around the recruitment, um, rec- recruitment process. They'll have things like um, standard interview guides where, you know, I'm going to ask all the candidates the same questions. Um, And there's even like this whole movement for um, blind recruitment where, you know, you you don't see the name on the resume. You don't see any personal information. um, uh, Their gender isn't revealed. All to take all of those biases out of of the process, ideally. It was interesting, I facilitated a a panel, um, the University of New Brunswick um, a little while back and sitting on the panel was a crew of like local, really reputable employers that these students wanted to work for. Um, And the students had opportunities to ask questions um, to the employers and the tone of the discussion. um, So I would describe just some of the stuff, you know, standard interview guides, we do training, we are becoming aware of unconscious bias. Um, Students are demanding more. It was like the the panel actually became a a little bit heated with, um, with the student population, like fourth year students saying like, that's great that you have unconscious bias training for your managers, but how do you know it's working? like like really really great questions mm-hmm. um so i think i think we're going to continue to see a real push for uh, for change and um there seems to be um, from that student population that i observe this crazy desire and this concern that employers must do more to have a hiring manager go through a training process and a standard interview guide which is what most of those employers describe as their practices just didn't seem reasonable um, to the students anymore, um, and I would I would tend to agree. I would tend to agree with that perspective that it mm-hmm. needs to be um, it needs to be more robust than that.
1: Yeah, that's really exciting to me that people are pushing back on that in that type of setting. Me
2: too. And as the facilitator, I was like, keep the peace, Shauna, keep yeah. the <laughs> right. <laughs> like, <so. laughs> moving on to the next question yeah it was I, I thought it was awesome too and like the way um the way the conversation was um was going was like it was super productive it was challenging for the employers because the questions were hard um but i thought it was like super reassuring to see the way the questions were framed up mm-hmm. and how the students were asking for more without saying like it's your fault you should do this sir." like It was just this real desire for change and fairness um, in the process. Really
1: cool.
0: It's so encouraging to see, we're talking Generation Z now, coming through the pipeline, bringing a different set of values to the table that ideally will climb with them as they go up the ladder in their careers and in the long, long run reshape work. I hope that that sort of preview of what we're seeing now does come true. I hope it doesn't fall apart somewhere along the line, but that's super encouraging to hear that. Thanks, uh, Shauna.
1: Yeah, for sure. So in that same vein, how can a job seeker seek out more conscious companies?
2: Well, I think that, I think, uh, I, I think our discussion has, has shown us so far, it's like, it's going to be impossible for it to be perfect, Mm -hmm. like a hundred percent perfect a hundred percent of um of the time right but i think as a as a job seeker yeah there's there's certainly some things that you can do to to see if you're um if the if the companies you're targeting are conscious of their unconscious issues and interested in um sort of um issues of, of diversity and fairness in processes so one thing um one thing i would say that job seekers can do is is research that company online like a very basic first step what what are their csr so their like their corporate social responsibility programs what do they look like um, look on their website read up about it look at their annual reports see what they're um, see what they're investing in from from a csr perspective there's those are all going to be like sort of clues Are they more progressive or are these like more traditional organizations that are maybe going to take some more time, um, to, to initiate significant levels of, of change? Um, I, a a really great thing to do is to, to look at the causes they support, you know, like every company has their like logo soup of like, we support Mm. blah, blah, like whatever they support. So look at that. Um, are you seeing a diverse group of companies or a bunch of companies that look like that company? They're probably all buddies and yeah, like go golfing or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. so, so think about that and take a good critical look, um, look at their, um, at the causes that they actively and openly, um, support. I found it so interesting. Um, when, when our world was going through such a significant shift around black lives matter, I found it so interesting to watch what companies and people were doing, um, and what companies and people weren't doing. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, so some organizations that really um, that really stood out to me were doing things like saying, I'm going to take my e-commerce store down for, um, in, for, um, for change, and I'm going to take this really firm, active stance, And then there were companies who were really sort of lagging not saying anything and then came up with like a standard pr statement like two weeks later and it was like well damn that's too little too late um Mm -hmm. so i'd even go back and creep i'd even go back and creep there were key moments in our history that are close enough in our history that we can go back on social media and say like what was up for you what did you Mm -hmm. do back in june what action did you take? Did you take any? did you Did you have any sort of position or stance around this? Um, and I think all those things are cues. Um, you can also reach out to uh, reach out to any contacts that you have with with the company as well, and have like real life conversations with people about their experiences at the company. Um, engage from that um, as well. Now, if you're doing that, I would say definitely, do it carefully, right? Because you're subject to someone else's opinion. So be sure to form your own opinion as well. Um, but I think certainly having, um, having that discussion could be a, a really, really valuable input to you understanding sort of that company's overall
1: commitment to diversity. I've also heard on the social media side, um, going to see what their company parties are like. So a lot of times people will post, pictures of what's happening in their social events to see what kind of people are at the company. And that's a good cue as well.
2: Yeah, for sure. If they're all twinning, that's a red flag. Is everyone twinning? Oh, look, everyone's yeah, the exactly. <laughs> right? yeah. like, same. And it happens. Look at government. Just look at government.
1: Everyone's <laughs> like, right? right? So true.
0: I love that idea around the social media research approach. I know that when I'm looking at the website of a company, I'm trying to figure out, first of all, did they just use some stock photos here to reflect their staff or is that actually their staff? So oftentimes I'll go in, if I want to learn more um, through like a a company's LinkedIn page, you can see a list of employees who are working and have connected themselves um, via LinkedIn to the company. It's sometimes really fascinating to see, okay, who, what do the managers look like? Where are they from? What languages do they speak? super, super fascinating because at that point you go past obviously the stock photos. Um, but I, I love your idea around, yes, we have relatively recent dates in, in our history. You don't have to scroll forever on your phone to find out what they were doing a few months ago. So I love that idea.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. No, that's a good point too. I love the idea of, um, of like the linkedin creep as well mm-hmm. and you brought up something really interesting and that is around um, the stock photography hmm. uh, oh my gosh because there there were a couple of organizations um like i know personally it's something i've always been um sensitive to like because i'm biracial right so i don't look quite black i don't look quite white I'm like somewhere in between right so I've always been sensitive to the fact that like Oh, I don't really show up in stock photos at all ever. Right. Yeah. Like, cause there's, it's just not um, a common, we'll say a common skin color or look. Um, but there were certain companies that I actually, there, there are two companies that come to mind that I actually was infuriated by, um, by their websites um, so much that I had, I was, I was gonna, going to buy a product from them and I was, I was so angry by their stock photography being so homogeneous that i I didn't go through with a transaction. Mm. And I remember because I did after after everything happened in June and with the the death of George Floyd and everything, um, so many companies were changing what they looked like. And I don't know about you, but like some of my accounts, like I use this tool called Canva um, for graphic design and like i was just like this is so super weird i have never seen like a black person in a canva like recommended template to me ever before Mm -hmm. and like all of a sudden it was just looking very different and i remember going to creep out these two (laughs) these two specific companies and be like you change your stock photos um and to me it was like too little too late folks but um but just really an interesting signal of the the pressure um that companies are under to do something and it's interesting that we can go back and see what they did in sort of this pivotal moment um Mm -hmm. moment in in history those linkedin profiles are gonna be gold man Yeah, (laughs) gonna be gold yeah
0: (laughs) dig in dig in cool um So there's this line out there that hiring managers and employers often use that says we've got to hire the best candidate we can, we can find the best candidate available and it just sort of stops there. It's like this interesting catch all point around hiring bias and diversity.
2: What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, like that is loaded with like so many problems because your best candidate could be different from my best candidate. And that could be different from Lisa's best candidate. And guess what? We all made up our best candidate, not only through the lens of a job description or whatever tool you're using in the company, a role profile, whatever, not only through that lens, but also through the lens of our own, um, of our own personal experiences and of our own biases. So to say um, we're looking for the best candidate is, is hugely, um, hugely problematic um, because recruitment is, is subjective exercise at best. Mm-hmm. And to give ourselves sort of like free reign and just say like the best person um, is, is a huge issue. And I do think that that language is like hugely normalized. Um, hugely normalized among hiring managers and and within uh, within the recruitment world as well. And I think, um, like I mentioned earlier, sitting on this panel and seeing those Gen Zers challenging the status quo and asking the hard questions to recruiters, um, that we're not gonna accept this kind of best candidate um, mentality anymore. Um, I think our systems right now are built to bring in the best candidate, like the best we can with our uh, with our manager training that we've gone through and sort of the interview guides that we have. Um, and it needs to move, uh, it needs to, needs to move deeper, um, deeper than that. If we do have a recruitment process, um, that really is robust and has fairness in mind and it has equality among candidates in mind, that would need to be a recruitment process um, that's very intentional about crafting, um, crafting the role, the requirements, and have a really firm handle on, um, on what it means to work with this, this, the company and to be aligned with the company values, not the individual manager, um or recruiter um mm. bias
0: great point yeah it it's almost like we have to really question what the word best means at all times and um at at times realize that the word best for us may be and i'm i'm just throwing this out there you guys can disagree with this the best may be something that's very different and diverse compared to what we have on the on the table so far that to us would be the best step forward in building our team or our company. That's, that's a viewpoint that I would love to see become a little bit more talked about and potentially adopted.
2: Yeah. And it's like the whole idea of fit too, right? Like, as you could say best candidate and best fit. Like it's a whole lot easier to fit more of the same with the same. Like, so mm-hmm. if you just want to talk about it, like straight up fit hundred percent, more of the same fits easier with the same, but is a homogeneous team of all the same going to necessarily be the best performing team? Mm -hmm. Like, so probably not. And how many studies have told us that over the years, right? Like so, um, so best fit is problematic, uh, problematic too. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because it implies, um, implies in, in, in that whole idea that, um, we want more, of the same Um, because someone from outside who's different, who has different experiences and different perspectives and cannot relate to our or my Atlantic Canadian winters or whatever is going to have a harder time adapting to wearing winter boots to work than someone who's from here and just has done that their entire life. So the Atlantic Canadian's going to be the easier, the best fit for for the job. So yeah, I think we need to rethink um, rethink all of um, all of that uh, of that language, and, and largely um, eliminate like all those pieces of subjectivity that we allow to happen um, in those conversations that are and that are hugely normalized.
1: I feel like too until we really take ownership of our bias, kind of going back to the beginning we can't say that just like you were both saying, we can't say that we know what the best fit is until we accept that we are biased and we move beyond that. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally fair. Totally fair. And like such a journey, um, such an individual journey of of self-awareness to, to get to that point. So true. Yeah.
0: Always comes back to self-awareness, doesn't it?
1: And so on that point, um, this conversation is something that we found to be really important. And we want to encourage our listeners as well as, you know, anybody else, even ourselves, to continue doing the work that needs to be done around anti-racism and bias. It's something that continues to be important. You know, there was this big push on it in June, but it doesn't stop now. We need to keep going with it and we need to keep doing the work. Um, so we have shared some resources in the past and I just like to do that again to keep that moving forward so that we know that we are all doing the best that we can for us as a collective. Totally. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, it, it is so important that we continue the conversation and um, don't lose the momentum. I, I, think, I think when it comes to like the path forward um learning continues to be like of the utmost important and really honing in on like what are those key pieces inside of ourselves um that we need to sort of unbox learn more about and and manage how do i start calling the hiring manager she Intuitively, mm. or they? I don't know. Mm. Mm. <laughs> like, I just forever am like, oh gosh, right. So how do we like? How do we actually make that move? And I I do think it's it's with practice. I don't think that mm. we can like read a book and be like, oh, I'm cured. I'm not. Don't I don't have the bias anymore? No, we're always um, we're always gonna have it. Um, and I think once we recognize, you know, it's something um, something we need to be aware of. Um, we need to be keeping in check and something that we need to put in sort of our leadership toolkit to, um, to continue to manage throughout our careers. Um, we'll be in, in a much better uh, much better place and make um, make better hiring decisions, make better decisions about, um, about promoting from within. Create more programs that favor all kinds of, of, um, of different employees rather than a really specific group.
0: All amazing points. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been definitely a conversation that will continue in, in many different ways. And I'm curious to know, maybe we'll touch base again with you on this uh, a little bit further down the road to see maybe where those awesome Gen Zers are going about and creating change in our world. Uh, because for sure right now, there's a lot of change happening. The rate of change, it's still not moving probably fast enough for most people, myself at, at the very least but there's something happening and that's a positive sign. Cool. We have some questions that we like to ask of all of our guests that um, might be on a little bit of a lighter note based off of what we've talked about. I'll kick it back over to Lisa for that.
1: Yeah. So we like to ask people about fun because people don't always associate fun with their careers. So what is the most fun that you've had in your career so far? Um,
2: I've had like a lot of, a lot of fun i've like worked on like some weird projects i can remember um i can remember one i i was um working in public relations and had like just like endless budgets and chartering helicopters with like key government officials like it was super cool i was just like ah so, it's like, cool. like the rich and famous it was awesome um so i had like some really great project experiences in my corporate days that were just amazing. Um, But the most fun I've had has really happened since I left corporate and making this whole like super weird mind shift that's so uncomfortable and actually saying like, Hey, I'm going to do stuff that I like doing. I'm going to do things that I'm passionate about. I don't recommend this for everyone. And I'm going to see what the heck happens with my life and my, <laughs> and my business. So um, I initially started an entrepreneurship with a solid pr- plan and a business case. And I was going to do all these things and it worked for a while, um, but I started to have the most fun when I opened myself up to opportunities that would present present themselves to me. Um, so I had an opportunity to do a speaking engagement um, here at the, the Black Lives Matter movement in St. John, New Brunswick, that was key highlight of my career and like forever shifted my direction for a few um, a few key reasons um, it was a serious day but it was the most it was the most fulfilling um, moment in my career it formed um, a whole bunch of um, new connections for me in the community and and um, led me sort, sort of towards this new pa- new path of exploring, um, really exploring issues of um, race and diversity and inclusion, which I'd always done at the side of my desk um, out of sheer personal interest. And it gave me permission to really leap into it and take it on, um, and take it on fully.
0: Cool. I've actually seen, I think all of that talk that you gave, I think on your YouTube channel, So we can toss that link into our show notes. If uh, that works for you, it'd be a pleasure to have our dear listener tune into the visual part of your work and really tap into that energy that you brought that day. It was really quite fascinating. Cool.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Mike. Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Um, We also like to talk about risk because there is often some level of risk in people's careers. So what's the biggest risk that you've taken in your career and how did it turn out? Um,
2: the biggest risk I would have taken was um, after I had my first son, um, really shifted um, my perception of work and my relationship with corporate life um, and everything. Um, I, decided, um, I decided, I decided, I went back after Matt leave and four months into my return from work, um, after being with the company for close to 15 years, I think, I was like, I can't do this anymore. So I, I decided to exit that company to take a job that paid almost half um, was a year long contract, like just just a terrible offer. Just everything was terrible, but it opened up um, for me, a completely different network of people in a completely different ecosystem. So I went from having this really solid corporate network and like the perfect corporate job and the perfect corporate salary and the perfect corporate outfits, like all the perfect stuff to this job and a nonprofit. Like just, I even remember walking into the office and thinking like, you have to be insane. You have to be insane to be doing this. Um, It was a huge risk. And I took that risk because corporate wasn't going to be it for me. And my end game was to, um, to start my own business. And this job was in economic development and had me connected to um, to that whole ecosystem and understanding funding and meeting other entrepreneurs and knowing like because before that I was like where do businesses come from like where do businesses come from like mm. can I just make one so so um, it was hugely rewarding um, and honestly like probably the best career decision um that i made was was to take that risk um because it was that step to um that step to that different world a different set of possibilities that i hadn't even considered um that led me to um to have the the confidence of the support system to start my own business
1: Hmm. so cool and when you said where do businesses come from i'm picturing like a stork coming along and just (laughs) dropping (laughs) it You like a business today. It has <laughs> no money,
2: but here you go. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> awesome.
0: Oh, we can all relate to that. Cool. Um, on that note, maybe a bit related here, what's the best piece of career advice you've ever received, Shauna?
2: Um, the best career advice I ever got um was to keep on learning. So I was like first generation in my family to go to post-secondary. And it was hugely important to my parents, um, that I pursue post-secondary education, which is interesting to me because we're like, you didn't do it. Why do I have to do it Mm -hmm. keep going to school? Um, but I did, and it's something that has rung true my entire, um, entire career. And that is this whole idea of the continuation of, uh, of learning. And to um, to decide that you know what, no matter where I'm at, um, no matter what that situation is, I'm gonna bet that there's some sort of lesson. In there that I can take away, um, and that's something that was taught to me like at a very, um, a very young age uh, from my parents, and and still rings true just about every single day, except when I finished my MBA, when I decided I wasn't reading for six months. But like after I got through like the break from books, it's <laughs> hmm. right back at her. <laughs>
0: cool, yeah, such a key theme that we keep picking up on. So thank you for sharing that. Where can people find out more about you and the work you're doing?
2: Yeah, you can find me on um, on my YouTube channel at Career Interrupted. Um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn at Shauna Cole, S-H-A-U-N-A-C-O-L-E. Or you can find me at shaunacole.com.
0: Awesome. Yeah, you've got the two black hearts on your LinkedIn name, so very easy to, to pick out in the crowd. It's awesome. Yes.
2: That's why they're there, Mike. Yeah.
0: (laughs) They stand out in a great way. Cool. Shauna, thank you so much for being with us again. It's been a great discussion, very intriguing. And like I said earlier, something that we are going to revisit in many different ways on this show in the future. I I really think part of our responsibility in having this kind of a platform is to find ways to bring these really important movements and, and push them forward in the way that we can. And you've helped us do that today, so thank you.
2: Awesome! It was a pleasure, you guys. It was so nice, um, so nice to uh, to chat with you today. I really appreciate
1: it. Yeah, it was so fun.
2: Cool.
0: Awesome.
1: So awesome, for the awesome.
0: for the Career Builders podcast, I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. Shawna Cole, our guest today. Go check her out. Career Interrupted. We hope you're well, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Bye for now.